And today we're looking at someone else. We're looking at mothers. We need them, don't we? Don't we need them? Aren't they so valuable to us? And I'll tell you what, it's, if, if I don't say this any other in this message, in today's society, it's the most underappreciated thing that someone could accomplish is being a mother, and it's not appreciated the way it should be. So we want to make sure today, and we're going to look at the Word of God today to show how mothers are so important. Today, if you'll turn over to Exodus, way over to the very beginning, look at the second book, chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 10 verses, and we're going to look at this title, How God Reveals Himself Through Mothers. How God Reveals Himself Through Mothers. These attributes that, that God puts in mothers and fathers I don't think that one person could handle them all. He needs, he gives special things to fathers, but boy, does he load up the mothers. And we, they're so valuable, so precious to us, and there's no one in this room, I would think, that would disagree with that. Mothers are so important, and they're important to God, and they're important to God's children. And today we're going to look at this in Exodus chapter 2. If you've got that this morning, stand for the reading, if you would, this morning. We're going to look at those first ten verses and it says in verse 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to him or to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him an ark, for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his nurse to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. How God reveals himself through the lives of mothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a wondrous God. And Lord, there's no one that loves us like you. And God, we thank you that, Lord, in the lives of mothers, God, you're able to show us, Lord, just a picture of your love and, Lord, your compassion and, Lord, your, just, your, just your grace and mercy upon us. Lord, we see that in the lives of mothers, God, as you shine through them, as you place that attribute within them, God, we are able to see you through what you do through mothers' lives. We thank you for them today. And, God, we pray today that they would be blessed and God exalted exalted because of it. Thank you, Lord, for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, I was reading about a teacher who was teaching her second grade class about magnets. Magnets. Uh, you, you, I love magnets. When I was a kid, I wanted to tear up motors just to get the magnets out of them. And I wanted to play. You wanted to do the attract or the repel, get close and it would move. I loved magnets. And so she taught them a whole lesson 
on magnets and how they work. And so the next day, she gave them a test over magnets. And she wanted to, to see if they'd retained any of the knowledge that she had gave him them. And one of her questions was this, what am I? And it says, my name has six letters. The answer was magnet. Start, my first letter is M. I pick up things. What am I? Over 50% of the class answered that question, mother. Mother. Even though they hadn't got it because picking up things automatically. Six letters. Mom. That's mom who picks up. Does, do you still do that? Does mothers pick up after their kids? I remember so much how moms take care of their kids. You know, dads can wait, but moms take care of those kids. I found something else that I thought was very true. I can, all I can tell you is, is I'm not a mother. But I, I've got one. And so you all know what mothers and how important they are. And I've watched the, the life of my wife and other mothers and how they sacrifice and so forth. So I appreciate them. I, seen, I found this little, uh, little section that said, what, um, it's called myths of motherhood. Myths of motherhood. It said somebody said that a child is carried in her mother's womb for nine months. Somebody does not know that a child is carrying her mother's heart forever. Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you have a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history. Somebody said you learn how to be a mother by instinct. Someone never took a three-year-old shopping before. Someone said good mothers never raise their voices. Somebody never came out the back door just in time to see her child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's window. Somebody said you don't need an education to be a mother. Somebody never had a fourth grader helped with his math. Somebody said you can't love the fifth child as much as you love the first. Somebody doesn't have five children. Somebody said the hardest thing of being a mother is the labor and delivery. Someone, somebody never watched her baby get on the bus the first day of school. I'm almost done. Somebody had a mother's... Someone said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves home. Somebody never had any grandchildren. And somebody said your mother knows you love her, so you don't need to tell her. Somebody isn't a mother. Mothers are valuable, aren't they? When we read this chapter in Exodus chapter 2, we know who it's talking about. This is talking about Moses. And the fact about Moses is his name is second the, the name that's mentioned more times in Scripture than any other person in all of Scripture other than Jesus Christ is Moses. This is a powerful man. But when you see this story, it is an amazing story of not only how God has His hand on your life before you're even born, but it's also a story of how God is able to use mothers to fulfill His will in children's lives. When you read the story, you, you, we, you read this and you only see one name, Moses. It's only one name. You don't see his mother's name listed. She's unappreciated even here. You don't see a sister. You don't see the, the, the uh, midwife that helped deliver. You don't see even Pharaoh's daughter. You don't see their names. Why? God is showing you that there's only one person that is really responsible for what he's talking about. It's God himself. God's involved in this situation. And God pours himself through our lives into our children. And mothers are so important. We, find, we, don't, we have to go all the way to chapters. This is chapter 2. You have to go all the way to chapter 6 to find out this mother's name is Jochebed. And her husband's name is Amram. And we know later we find out that this sister that's watching in the distance we're going to see is Miriam. And then he's got an older brother, 
Aaron. We see all these are very big names that we would know. But in this picture that this writer is not putting them because they're not important. The only person that's important is God and what he's going to do through this young man's life through that mother. And so we're going to see today. You know, one of the, I'm going to give you five things. And Lord, I'm going to try to talk quick. You know, I'm a quick, I talk quick. I just take too long to say it. But I want to give you five things that God, how God reveals himself through a mother. And one of them, I was, and I, I try to do this. I try to make words that have the same letters. But I, and I couldn't fit love. Isn't, I'm doing S's. And I couldn't, I said, Lord, give me, a, give me an S word for love, in which I found sweetness and all kinds of. But, but here's the thing. When I started looking at all five of these points, I want to underline this up front. Every one of them is because of the love of the mother that we're going to see these things that she does in her life. How, there's nobody in here that doesn't think, when you think of mother, when you see these people in this video, they talk about mom, tears come to their eyes, especially when mom's gone. Because you realize, if you were to sum up your mother, many of you, I would think, and I pray all of you, is able to sum mom up with one word, it's love. It's love. We see the love of God through our mothers greater than any. Yes, our dads love us. Yes, our dads are so important. I couldn't do without my dad. But let me tell you something. If I, when I was thinking of, I think of different attributes that I, when I go home and I'm looking for, and, and their dad's got his, and we'll talk about them on Father's Day. But when I go home, I'm looking for mom's love, her compassion, her understanding, and her encouragement. That's probably the number one things I've always looked for. And maybe that's what you found in your mom. I pray that you have. And that you're a mother, I hope, hope and pray that's what your children is looking for you. So love surrounds everything I'm going to say today. So I won't make a separate point. It's going to be part of all of them. Today we're going to look at five things of how God reveals himself through the lives of numbers, mothers. Number one, God is revealed in how a mother sees her children. Mothers see their children different than anybody else. Then that child's birth, it, it comes forth and it could be red and it could be all wrinkled up and not have a bit of hair on its head. But there is something special. That mother looks at that child and there is a love that didn't start the moment she's seen it. She's been carrying this child for nine months. She loved that child before she ever laid eyes on that child. Mother's love. She sees things in her children that nobody else can. The verse 2 says, and the woman can see. Listen, let, let, this, let me give you this. You've got to have this because it doesn't make as much sense. This is a really tough situation they're in. See, she's already got two children. She's got a daughter and she's got a son. But something's happened. The enemy is trying to wipe out God's people. That's what he's always done and it's what he always will do. See, he's trying to wipe them out. So there's a decree to go forth. And Pharaoh said, we're going to have to limit these people. They're more than us. They're going to take us out. We're going to have to get rid of these men. We're going to have to weaken them. And so we're going to get rid of all the new babies. All the baby boys. You got, and so they gave a command to these midwives when they go to deliver. Uh, that if, that's a baby, if it's a baby girl, she lives. If it's a baby boy, throw it in the river. Throw it in the river. Get rid of it. Let the crocodiles have it. Well, these women feared God, thank God. And one of the statements, I didn't read it, because he got mad at them because they wasn't doing it. Right. And he, so he brought them into a question, and probably their heads are already chopped. And he says, what are you doing? I gave you command. Why aren't you doing it? They said, these women aren't like the Egyptian women. These women are different. These are, these are tough women. Before we even get there, they've already delivered. It's already a done deal. We can't even find these children already gone. Now, whether that be true or whether that be not, that's what they told Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to wipe them out. But God had a plan. Let me tell you something. The enemy can see children's potential before anybody else can. And he tries to wipe out any opportunity to do anything for God. And in our children, but you mothers, God is able to put something in your heart that you realize something special about that child. 
you see something. So we see here that in verse 2, and when the woman conceived, she bare a son. It was a death sentence when she did that. But says it goes on and says, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly son, child. Ah, oh, she spared his life. She seen him, said that he was a goodly child. This word means fine. This word means perfect. This word means she's seen something in this young man. She looked at him and she knew this wasn't just some ordinary. There was something. God's hands on that boy. God's got a plan. And you mothers know that you see things in your children like no one else. This is the same exact word that's used here. It's the same word God used when he made creation. In Genesis 1.31 it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God looked at what he had done, and when God done something, it was perfect. And when God looked at it, he said, that is good. That's the exact same word she said when she seen that boy. That boy is perfect. That boy has got something special in his life. And so we see that a mother sees a child's perfection. Even if you can't, you may look at somebody's newborn baby and say, that's ugly. But that mother says, that's the most beautiful thing in the entire world. I see so much imperfection in that child. She saw him perfect and she loved him way before he was ever born. You know what else? A mother sees not just their perfection. She sees a child's potential. She sees a child's potential. God does too. God does too. In fact, in Acts seven twenty says, and at that time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. We see that even God, when he created him, he doesn't, we're just not born and God decides later to do something with us. No, God has a plan in our lives before we're born. And God, when he created him, this was a horrible time in history. It was a horrible time. And, and they were under such bondage. And they were working them to death. And even Jochebed, who is this mother, was being worked a slave labor all day long. And I can see her as expecting. And she's probably sick and weak. And they're making her work out in the sun. And, and build. they were building all these cities for the king. And so they were doing all this work. And the whole time, she didn't know what she was going to have. She just knew that it was getting close to time. And if it's a girl, she could live. But if it's a boy, she was going to end up losing him what a can you imagine the burden of her heart but when she seen this boy she said this is nothing this is not ordinary this is someone that God has got his hand upon so God reveals a mother and, and his self through a mother the way she sees and has such potential in her children she can see that that child has got such potential that she will encourage you know, that's why moms is the ones that's taking them to piano lessons and taking them to soccer practice and taking them to band practice or whatever it is moms see the potential in their children and they're the ones out running the bus route every day trying to make sure that their kids develop those things that she sees in her children God's got some things in our lives too God sees and has a plan. Don't ever tell yourself, God, not me. You don't know who I am. No, God's got plans in our lives. Sometimes we just give up and we don't listen to what he says. But you mothers know God's got plans. Even in your children's life, you could see it. You knew that God had a plan in their life. You know what else? God's revealed in how a mother sacrifices for her children. A mother sacrifices. Is that another word you think of when you see and talk about your mom is sacrifice? I tell you, this is, it's today, it just kills me because there is such a, as I said earlier, such a negative uh, view of a mother. And that, it's, that it's like you're giving up something. If you, if you become a mother, you're giving up something. Well, that's, listen, one of the most blessed things. I'm so thankful that my mother, that when I was born, she, she was heading down a path, a career path in, in nursing. And she 
wanted to give me all of her time, and then Carl after me, and she sacrificed for us. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. Today, it takes more money than two of you can make to actually make it, and what the economy, the way it is now, it's going to get three of you or something. But I'm just so thankful that when mothers make their children a priority and they sacrifice, we see that it says in verse 2, the end of that verse, when she's seen what he was, and she's seen the potential in this child, she hid him three months. And he goes on in verse 3 and says, And when she could not hide him any longer, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. She hid him three months. That was a death sentence for her. She was supposed to, if they, if they heard that baby cry, she was a, she, not only was he a goner, but she was going to be a goner for disobeying the king's orders. But she loved that child so much, she was willing to lay down her life to save him. Isn't that the way the mothers are? Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper, which means beautiful, child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They put that child above their own safety. She sacrificed for that child. She sacrificed for that child. I was reading a story of a, a mother who was many years ago that was making her way across the hills of the South, South Wales. She was carrying her tiny baby in her arms. Unbeknownst to her, there was a massive snowstorm that was coming in. She tried to make it, but she couldn't make it. And it took them many days to actually find her and that baby. And they found a mound of snow, and they finally seen where she was. And they dug through the mound of snow, and they kept digging under her to pull the baby out from under her. And when they did, they were amazed to find out that in the midst of that storm, when she figured out that she wasn't going to make it, she took off her outer clothes, and she wrapped that baby up as tight as she could, and then she surrounded it with her body, this baby. And when they took this baby and dug her out and pulled her off and unwrapped this child, he was still alive. This baby, she sacrificed herself. Many years later, that young man, whose name was David Lloyd George, grew up to be the prime minister of Great Britain and one of the greatest prime ministers they ever had. It all goes back to the sacrifice of a mother who give herself instead of that child. Mother's sacrifice. That's why... That story, you, you all know me. You know this is going to come up on Mother's Day. My Reese's Cup story has got to come up today. My brother's here. He'll know this here today. But my, my mom had been in the hospital for two weeks. And as, I don't know. I never can remember how old I was, five, six, whatever I was. Hopefully, younger the better, Mom, whatever it was. The younger the better. She'd been in the hospital. And back then, you don't, go, you don't get to go to hospitals in Marymount. You couldn't, kids couldn't go in the hospital. That's back when the IVs was like, you know, steel rods and they strapped your arm to a board and, and it, was, it was pretty painful. You know, it still is, but it was really a lot more back then. So for two weeks, it seemed like for a lot of days, Dad done his best and did a good job. In fact, I, I, one thing I remember Dad did is that we would be busy and he gave us cake for dinner one night. Cake! And I was like, yeah! This is awesome. I remember I come in, a bowl of cake with plastic wrap on it. I was like, yeah, Mom won't let us have cake. Go, go Dad! And so, so, because we had to run to the hospital, and we got to the hospital, and all we could do is stand behind the building, up, and Mom's up on the, I don't know what floor, and we could wave at Mom through a window. 
Well, it killed us. Mom's gone. I mean, you're used to mom being there every day, getting your shoes and socks on, getting your clothes on. Dad did really good. And I remember it was, it was, it was Halloween when mom got to come home. I remember that. So she wanted to make sure sacrifice. She wanted to make sure that, that we got to get our candy. So she had dad bring her and put her in the living room, get her situated, run him out to the store. And he took us to all kinds of different places, got us a whole big old bag of candy. I, I mean, I don't know if he bought it and dumped it in or we went to the right places, but we had a lot of candy. So we come back. So I come in there. And so my, my brother, the, the giving one, <laughs> who's even younger than me, he's like, here, mom, he holds his back out. Here, mom, what do you want? What, what do you want? Take whatever you want, mom. What do you want? And so she reached in, gets a piece of candy, one piece of candy out. So I thought, well, I'll follow suit. I'll do the same thing. So you're, you're a selfish pastor. So I go over and I open the bag. I say, Mom, whatever you want. Well, she reaches in and she gets a gold full Reese cup. My favorite candy in the whole world. I may have had more in there, but it was the one. And before I thought, it slipped out of my mouth. Oh, Mom, that's my favorite. Oh, Mom, that's my favorite. And I seen the look on her face, and she put it back. And then I felt guilty, even as a kid. I felt, no, Mom, no, you can have it. No, honey. No, 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 no. And I was, so then I was, please, Mom, take it. No, I want you to take it. No, honey, I'll just take it. And she pulls out a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> I had four million Tootsie Rolls. She pulled out one Tootsie Roll. That grieved me so bad. I have bought her. She, she, I do it all the time. She says, do you know how many times you've done this? I bought her, I don't know how many things of Reese cups, big four-pounders or whatever, trying to make up for that. Why? What was the deal? She sacrificed. She doesn't want she wanted me to have the best. That's the way moms are. That's the way moms are. But she doesn't, she wasn't the originator of sacrifice. We know that our Lord and Savior, God gave his son while you and I were sinners. He sacrificed for you when you rejected him. And he loved you so much, he sacrificed the best that he had, his only son, to show his love for you. Mothers get it honestly because they see the greatest example of what God did for us. So we see God through our mothers, through their sacrifice. We also see God is revealed in how a mother secures her children. If you want to, you really want to see the anger of a mother kindled, touch her child. You can have the most timid, backward, won't even hardly speak lady in the world, and you touch her child, and a mother bear will come out of her. It just, well, it just happened. She secured this child. She secured this child. It says in verse 4, and, and it said in verse 4 that, and his sister stood afar. I think I've, I think I've got ahead of myself here. I, I forgot a point, but I'm going I'm to come back to that. But we see here that she sacrificed. Let me, let me tell you how she sacrificed. She, and I, I've got one of my points, but she surrenders. That, that's, that's another one. She surrendered this child. She surrendered it. You see, she knew that it was, it was just about helpless and hopeless for her to save. There was no way this boy was going to grow up without God's intervention. And we see that she kept him for three months under secrecy. And every time, can you imagine, every time he cried, fear gripped her heart. Somebody's going to hear it. The soldier may hear that cry and come in here. And so she, got, she did all she could do to, to secure him. But we know that it came to a point where she said, now, God, you're going to have to help me. You ever been there? You ever get to that place? Maybe even with your children. You've done everything as a mother you can do. It's a bigger than you. You can't do it. This problem that you're facing this time, you've done everything you can to help them. But it gets too big for you. And all of a sudden, you have to say, God, 
that child was given from you. That was a blessing from you. And now I'm trusting you. You've been faithful to me all my life. You've got to help me. And so what did she do? We see that scripture says that she took bulrushes and she wove them into an ark. She daubed it. She covered it with slime and pitch. She put it in the river. We only see that one other place in scripture. Only one other place is that terminology. Ark and daub of slime in one other place and that was Noah. I think she was looking at it and said, Lord, I know in Scripture that you promised that you had a, a man and his family that you promised that you would protect. And they served you. And Lord, you saved them by taking a boat and making it. And you gave him direction to cover it with pitch and slime. And you saved him through all that incredible storm. And no one could have done that but you. Lord, I'm in the same boat. I've got my son and my life is in your hands. Because if you don't do something right now, we're done. We're all done. So I'm trusting you. And I think she fashioned that boat, that little life boat for that child. And she covered it and did exactly what she seen that happened in Scripture. And then she had to surrender him into the river. She had to put him in the river and say, God, I trust you. Can you imagine how hard that would have been? I can't even fathom how she was. She couldn't even stay there. Because if she stood there watching that child, that anybody found the child would have known it was her child. So what did she do? This is the secure part. She sent her daughter. She put Miriam behind a tree or somewhere down the, down the beach. It doesn't tell us this, but she probably even had a plan. You watch now. You see what's going to happen. You find out what's going to happen with that baby. And I can see, I can see that she's got Miriam trained and because Miriam has a great plan when she sees this Pharaoh's daughter come. You know, God's providence is perfect, isn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't just some stranger, some other Hebrew or somebody else that found it. The very daughter of the very man that had put a death sentence on this baby is who found this baby. And the providence was she was the one coming to take, probably to bathe, and she's got her maids with her who is going to surround her, and she sees this basket. It wasn't a coincidence. It was God's direct intervention in this child's life. And so she's trusting God, and the person that comes is the daughter Pharaoh. Well, that can go one of two ways really quickly. So she sends her maid to get it out. And again, providence of God. I think this was an exact... Of course, I would be crying too if I was out there in that situation. So they pulled the lid off of this little ark. And what's Moses doing? He's crying. This most, have you ever, you ever seen those cries when the babies cry and they just kind of quiver? And they're doing that little stuff. And it's like the, their little jaws jiggle. And it's like the most saddest thing I've ever seen. I guarantee you Moses was doing that. Little tears running down his face. And she looked at him. And God gave her a heart of compassion for that baby. She said, this is one of the Hebrews. She knew what dad had said. But when God let her see this child, he gave her a heart of compassion. That wasn't anything but God doing that. In your life, I don't care how hard the situation you're facing. I don't care what you're going through. You need to realize God can take the very enemy that's trying to destroy you and use them to lift you up. God can do the miraculous when you trust Him. That way you can't give credit to anybody else. It wasn't her great plan. She could have never planned it out that well. But it was God who was showing His providence through her life that she surrendered Him and said, I trust you, God. You've got to do the work because if not, hey, listen, He's going to be alligator food. We're in trouble here. So she surrenders Him and she sacrifices for Him. I was reading a little story about uh, another teacher was asking her, asking classroom, and she had a little boy, and she was asking him. They were doing fractions. He was struggling with these fractions, awful. And so she asked him, said, uh, son, said, uh, Tom, 
uh, let's see how you're doing on your fractions. You say you've got a pie. In that pie, your mom made a pie, and there's four of you in the house. You've got you and your brother and your mom and dad. There's four of you. And she sliced that pie and gave each one of you a piece. How much of that pie would you get? He said, he thought for a second, he said a third. She goes, Tom, you're, you're not getting it. You're, you're four, there's four of you. There's four, so there's going to be four people eating the pie. So how much would you get? And he says, no, ma'am, I, I do understand. He said, you just don't know my mom. Because when she's going to slice that pie, she's going to look at us and say, I'm not really hungry, and she's going to slice it into three pieces and give us each a third. Why? She sacrificed. She surrenders for that child. It's such a, and it's so true and so loving. John chapter 10, verse 28 through, 20, 28 through 30 says, I and I give unto him, them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. God is saying that when I secure you, my hand is around my children, and there is nothing that the enemy can do to pluck you out of, it, out of my hand. That he can blow, he can scare you, he can make you think you're in trouble, but when I've got my hand around you, it's a done deal. He can just threaten, but he can't touch you. He wanted to take this young man out, but God says, no, you won't. In fact, I'm going to play a trick on you. I'm going to cause the very person that put a death sentence on you to bless you the rest of your life. In fact, what happened? We see that Miriam runs down, and, and this security, the mother, she couldn't be there. Now, I can see, Mom, what's, what's Jochebed doing? She's not home just whistling and doing her, ch her chores. I can see her on her knees in her bedroom. Can you see your mom doing this? Can you see that situation? You're going through things. Mom's sitting there praying, God, Lord, don't let, let Miriam come back with good news. Lord, I'm trusting you. This is just another test, and I'm putting my confidence in you. She's in prayer. She's seeking God. And so we see that the Lord is saying even in himself, hey, listen, you don't have to worry. I've got your life in my control, in my command. Number four, God is revealed also in how a mother shapes her children. Oh, let me tell you something. You have no, you will think that what you're doing, because it can be so mundane, it can be so, oh my goodness, changing diapers. Oh, I'm trying to teach this child. And, the, and it seems like they're slow to learn. Seems like sometimes they're even hard-headed. Seems like they're just being rebellious. All these things. And you think that sometimes all the labor you put in doesn't make a bit of difference. But oh, does it ever. We know that she. Uh, when, when this, this plan, God turned it around so that, so that she got to be the mother and to nurse her own child. And, and, it's, and the different writing says that she would have probably got to keep him just like Samuel for three years. So for 36 months, she had this baby. God did a divine answer to her prayer and she got to, to raise her own son and instill in him and teach him and pour into him and it lasted a lifetime. I can understand this right now. My, my granddaughter is three years old. She stayed all night with us last night. This morning, I had to be a little late because she was awake before I left, and she wanted Pop-Pop to take her to go get chocolate milk and donuts. And I'm sure her mom, and I, the only reason I did this is because I got to leave her after the sugar with Marie this morning early. So I, so, but this, she's three years old. And I'm thinking, how in the world how in the world could I have impacted her? How could we have given her enough at this moment to carry her through the rest of her life? 
But it's amazing. If you, know, if you think about your three-year-olds, they know more than you can They have already learned, and so much of the makeup of their life is already determined by that age. This mother poured herself into him, and she poured herself of God and him and instructed him so much. You will see the character of his life through the rest of his life. She impacted him for the things of God that impacted him for the rest of his life. That not even all the, the blessings and privileges of, of Egypt could draw him away from what she did. It says in verse 9, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. Now think about this. God is, God is so good. The very person that's trying to kill him is now paying her to stay home and to raise this child and probably be paying pretty good wages. And so she is getting taken care of by the king. He's trying to wipe them out and the very one that's going to come and deliver them later, he's paid foot in the bill to take care of. God, let me tell you something. In your life, you can, there ain't nothing too hard for God. You know the difference? How many mothers wept and didn't see what they should have seen in their children. And they gave in to it and, and let their children be taken and thrown into the river. This mother said, no, that child is worth more than anything else. And I surrender my, everything for that child. And God was able to do a mighty miracle in the life of that child. Amen. You shape your children and you have an impact forever in their life. In fact, Scripture tells us how important it is to train children up when they're young. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, you'll not depart from it. It's saying that you put this word of God and you give them godly principles and you teach them right from wrong and you teach them who God is as soon as you can. These people, let me tell you something, the biggest mistake I've ever heard that people make is to say, let your children become teenagers and then let them make their own mind up. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. By that point, the world's already had so much influence, they will never make their own mind up right. They won't. It's the only when your parents, you as parents, when your children are young and your grandchildren are young, that you influence them for the things of God. When you see have a problem, you teach them to pray. When they come to you and they're hurt, you show them compassion and you ask God to help. I know of children that's been young, that's had more faith. I've told you about my son and, the, and praying over a cat and, and, uh, 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 and how God did a miracle in a cat's life. Why? Because a child can believe God to do anything. I know of other children that was older than me when they were young in the church, had a broken arm. I think Bruce Lane had a broken arm or one of those kids and they had a bone that was protruding and they asked them to pray instead of taking to the hospital to pray and God set that bone and fixed it. Why? Because they have faith. Why? Because they had somebody instilling them as a child. Their mother impacted them for the things of God. My, my parents impacted me for God from the time I was one. They got saved when I was one. Thank God for that. And they impacted my life and I couldn't get away from it. I tried my best to get away from it. I'm not proud of that. There's things in my life I wish I could go back. I went through and went to it. They put me in a Christian school. They took me in, 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 in revival and dad preached. And I was getting the word of God left and right. But there came a point when I tried to get away from all of that. I, the world tried to pull me just like it's going to pull, try to pull him. But when I got, I could not enjoy the life of sin. Why? Because I'd gotten something as a child I couldn't get away from. I knew that was real. And everything I got near out here left me empty and just fearful. And it left me miserable. And I knew that the only thing was real was back here. I read a story from, uh, about the impact of the President Lincoln's mother had on him. A promise that he had made. He was 
he was with one of the generals or one of the colonels in the military. And when he was with him, this man tried to give him a drink. And he said, drink with me. And he said, no, I can't. He said, no, he kept trying to pressure him. He says, let me t- tell you a story, Colonel. He says, when I was nine years old, my mother was dying. And the last thing my mother said to me was, son, I want you to promise me that you're going to live for God and you'll never touch alcohol. He said, I made that promise. He said, so, Colonel, let me ask you something. Should I go ahead and break that promise and drink with you? And he says, no, sir. No, sir. Absolutely not. He said, I'd give $1,000. Now, it would have been a lot of money then. $1,000 if I could say the same thing that I kept a promise my mother gave me and I hadn't disobeyed it. I'd, I'd, go, I'd give $1,000 to go back. Let me tell you something. Mothers influence their children for God. Their mothers influence their children for good. Susanna Wesley had a lot of experience. She had 19 children. Lord help her. 19 children. And, and she had, uh, and two of those children were mighty men of God. You know of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the great preacher and the great songwriter, uh, uh, was two of her children. Here was her six rules. Here's her six rules and see how they turned out. Number one, subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Don't let them have their way. Number two, good one, teach him to pray as soon as he can speak. Teach him to pray. Number three, give him nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. Boy, wouldn't we be better off today if that happened? Walmart wouldn't like that too well. Number four, to prevent lying, punish no fault that is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Number five, commend and reward good behavior. And finally, number six, strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. Boy, she did some good work. In fact, Charles Wesley made this comment later in life. He said, I learned more about God from my mother than all the theologians in all of England. He learned from his mother. God is working in your life. And you mothers, you have no idea. The enemy will cause you to think that it's just wasted. That you could have been so much more. That you wasted some... No, let me tell you something. There is not a higher calling that God could give you than being a mother today. God has done such a great work and such a, a mighty thing. And finally today, number five, God has revealed in how a mother supports her children. The work's not done when they leave the house. You always know that you can come to mom when you need something. If you need something, you go to mom. Dad might say something. I'm not, I don't say this about it. I'm thinking of me here. They go to Marie when they want stuff because they know dad worries about money more than Marie does. And so they go to mom's. Isn't that, is that the way it is at your house? Mothers support their children. Mom has, mom's got a little side stash she keeps. And I, in past times past, mom would hand me a little something. I'm like, no, mom. No, no, no. I don't want that. She goes, that's my money. You're taking it. That's my money. Moms, they support their, and I don't, when I say support, I don't mean money. I'm not talking about just money here. But they, they don't, it's not over when they turn them loose. Because there comes a point, and it's the hardest thing you've ever done when you actually have to let them go. That scripture that says when a 
talking about a man and a woman getting married, that he must leave his father and mother and cleave. He's got to separate. That, that bond has got to be separated. And now he's given himself to another. But let me tell you something. I can tell you for a fact. It's not, not me, but I can tell you. They may, may, may cleave. Uh, uh, they may try to cut that bond, but that mother's heart, as that little boy in that video said, there's a little cord that's attached to my heart, and it's attached to hers, and it's always going to be there. Well, that's the way it is with mothers. We can trust her. It says in verse 10, And the child grew. She brought him into Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. In fact, she's the one that named him and called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. It means drew out. So she ended up handing him to someone else who was going to name him and raise him. But she had invested herself for 36 months. Every spare moment she had, no doubt, she poured herself into this boy. She trained this boy. She loved this boy. She instructed this boy in God and how to live his life. And boy, did it have an impact. She trusted this boy. She supported this son by trusting God with his life. Sometimes you have to do that. And in fact, every one of our lives, there comes a point when you say, God, I don't want to let go, but we've got to let go. They're going to move on. I remember my son was the first to leave the house, and I remember the moment he was warning. He, he came out with this short notice. He was going to go to Bible school, Ozark Bible Institute in Neosho, Missouri, 12 hours away. I wouldn't advise you, and some of you all may have family that, and he, thank God, it didn't last a long time. He was back several months later. He was back, thank God, but with the hardest trip we ever took, and I thought I was going to do pretty good, uh, uh, but we took my, our son. And we took him 12 hours away, the whole way out there. My wife cried. She cried. I almost couldn't drive for taking care of her. She cried and cried and cried and cried. And on the way back, she started, started getting a little better, and she'd seen he was okay, and he had some friends. And she started consoling herself, and she started getting her strength. So by the time we got back, she was good. And I thought I was good. I thought, well, whew, thank God I'm done with that. Until I woke up about three in the morning. I had no idea where this came from. And I woke up in my sleep, and as a big, tough dad, I was sitting there. I was about to drown myself, crying in my sleep. And I was suffocating. I was, and I was like, I thought I was going to die. So I can't, imagine what, I can't imagine what a mother must feel. But there's times you've got to let go. And you, but you still can support them. How can you still support these children? How is it that you're still impacting their lives? Because you've already sowed into them. You've already given them all that you can do. And so now you've got to pull back. But that doesn't mean that your job is over. She supported her son first by trusting God. She put him in his hands. Lord, from the day he was born, I've seen how you've already moved. I've seen how you spared his life. I've seen how you even blessed us. And you, you covered our financial needs for the last three years. And Lord, I see that you're blessing my son. He's going to get the best education. He's going to get the best food. He's going to have the best chance. Lord, I'm trusting you. Even though my influence is being cut, Lord, you keep your hand upon him. But boy, did it make a difference. You know what else she did? It doesn't say this, but I know it's happening. You know as a mother it's happening. She supported him with prayer. How many times are you mothers? You hear about your kids. My wife grieves over our kids' problems. I hear about them, and it just stresses me because I feel like i got to fix them. And so I'm trying to think, okay, how can I fix this, what I'm doing? And, and my wife's like, you've got to pray for this. You've got to be praying about this. And so she's, she's all the time worried. Am I praying enough about these problems? Why? She's grieved. She won't be able to sleep at night. Whatever the thing's going to Why? She's tore up. And so how can you make a difference in their lives when they're gone? By prayer, by trusting God and putting them in the hands of God. 
President Theodore Roosevelt said, praying mothers are America's greatest asset. They are. Don't, don't, let me say you, the, the enemy doesn't want anybody to pray. A praying mom has more power. And, and I know, when I want prayer, I go tell mom about something. Why? Because, boy, she's going to call heaven down. If I'm going through something, now dad does a great job, but boy, mom gets plum wound up, and, and yes, you know how she is. She gets excited. Boy, I tell you what, praying is an important thing. And he impacted the life of a president. You know what Charles Spurgeon said about his mother? I cannot tell how much I owe the prayers of my good mother. Buddy, when you need prayer, you go to mom. Because nobody's going to pray for you like mom. Nobody is going to pray. She supported him by being a godly example, making herself available. Whatever he needed, he could just come back home. Whatever he needed, she, he knew that she would be what he need, she needed him to be. And this impact changed his life. How do we know it impacted him? How do we know she impacted him? We see the life that 40, took him many years to get where God wanted him to be. But we see here, for one thing, we see that when he got older, and all the calling of the wild things in Egypt. He was in the house, and, and Pharaoh himself thought he was God. So he was raised up, and they tried to indoctrinate him with the things of Egypt, and yet he wouldn't get away from it. They couldn't change his mind. They tried to offer him all the pleasures of Egypt, but he refused it. How do we know that? It says in Hebrews eleven twenty five. it says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You mean to tell me that Jochebed impacted this young man by the time he was three years of age, that when he was 20 years of age or even older, with all the pleasures laid out before him and was being encouraged to step into that, he would not do it? That's exactly right. Why? Because that mother had influenced him. That mother's prayers was still following him. That mother's prayers was still working in his life. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they grow old, they'll not depart from it. You can't get away from that. You can't get away from it. And we see, here's what we see, and as I'm closing. We see that later in life, as an 80-year-old man, he still hasn't got away from the influence of his mother. Why is that? We see that he is one of the most meek men in the world. He is so humble that he sees his flaws so uh, incredibly, that when God says, you're the one I'm going to use, he's like, you need to get my brother. You can't be talking about me. I, I don't speak well enough. I've got a speech impediment. Lord, you can't use me. I don't want to stand before Pharaoh. I don't want to do these things. Lord, I'm too, I'm too weak. You can't use me. He's humble. He's meek. And even when people ridicule, ridicule him while they're going through the desert, what does he do? He doesn't try to challenge them himself. He's humble. Where did he learn that from? It wasn't from Amram, his father. It was the influence of a mother before he was three years of age that impacted his life, that even as an 80-year-old man leading out two million people to the promised land, she's still influencing him. She's still impacted. And finally, we see that, that, that one of the other traits that I know had to be his mother is the fact that he had learned unconditional love and how to be an intercessor. What are you talking about? More than one time, several times, the people, uh, the people, these uh, the Hebrews in the, in the wilderness had just so flagrant, uh, flagrantly uh, disobeyed the word of God and, and, and made a calf and, 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 and rebelled against God in such a way. He said, just get out of the way, Moses. Step out of the way. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start a brand new generation through you. You're going to be the father of the nation. I'm going to wipe them all out. What did he do? 
he could have been the father. Then he said, no, 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 God, stop. Wait a minute. He stood himself between the people and said, if you take them out, you got to take me first. Lord, you are better than this. Lord, they're going to say that you brought us out just to wipe us out. No, God, have mercy. Have mercy. And God had mercy because he interceded for the people. Where did he learn to do that? Jochebed. He didn't learn that in Pharaoh's house. He learned that at the knees of his godly mother who influenced his life for God. And it never left him all the days of his life. You may think this morning that, oh, it's been a failure. You can see all the things that you've done and you could probably list some things you could say, but I should have done that better. Let me tell you something. There's not, there's not one of you in this place that your children would not rise up today and said, they're blessed. I'm so blessed that they were my mom and that they, what they've done into my life and the things that you've done. And let me tell you something. We're not done yet. Still got, if they're still breathing, you still got influence. You've got grandchildren. You can still influence them. You can still pray. You can still do all kinds of things to impact them. Let me tell you something. God shows himself through mothers today. And today you still are an influence for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And you are an influence to a nation. God, let mothers again be the influence for this nation. Instead of a worldly culture that's trying to destroy a nation. Let it be mothers again calling out on God. This morning, if you'd stand and bow your heads. Sister Priscilla, if you'd come. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this influence of these godly women. And God, we thank you that, Lord, you allow us to see little attributes from you through our mothers today. And God, we thank you that, Lord, the reason they know how to love is because you taught them how to love. You put your heart of compassion and love and mercy in our mothers. And God, I thank you for that, that, God, we can know you through what we see in them. That God, you're not a harsh God that's angry and full of wrath, but God, today you're a God of mercy. You're reaching out to even today. Lord, there's even some that may not know you here today. And God, that heart of love is reaching down today. Lord, because you love them so much, that's the reason you're drawing them. That's the reason they feel you're drawing on their heartstrings is because you love them so much. And you still want to do things in their life. And God, if they're in the sound of my voice this morning, it's not too late. God, you want to pour out your love upon them today. God, if they don't know you, that you would, Holy Spirit, deal with their hearts. That they wouldn't be put off another time. Because another time may not come. And God, I thank you that your mercy and your love and your tenderness and your plans for us and Lord, how you want to protect us and how you want to save us and all these things you want to do, it's available today, Lord. If only we accept you. That just that glorious moment when we just accept the goodness that you want to do through us, Lord, by accepting you as our Savior. God, don't let one person leave today. Don't let one person leave today. God, that doesn't know you. But God, let this be the greatest celebration, the greatest Mother's Day in history, Lord, because they give their heart and life to you.